Hello and welcome back to our 8th, 10th, 11th, 12th, we don't even know anymore. Okay, um, let me check. So it was our ninth episode. Um, welcome, Virgi, do you want to say hi? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be quiet and shy this episode. No, welcome back everybody and latching on to our past episodes. So if you had the time to check out the last one, you should, because in this episode we're going to delve deeper into what's been already mentioned. So what are we going to look into closer, Violi, this episode? So for those who are a bit lazy and are not going to listen to the <laughs> last episode, um, in our last episode we touched upon uh, insetting and offsetting, and then uh, we talked about the um, European trading scheme um, and the voluntary carbon market. And in this episode we're going to follow up on the offsetting part and therefore on the voluntary carbon market. And we're going to delve into the challenges of the voluntary carbon market as we anticipated, there are many, but we didn't really go into detail about what they entails. And we're going to do that first, Virgin I, by giving an overview of the three main challenges. And then we're going to talk with um, our guest, uh, Jamel, who was really kind to join us and tell us more about the solution he's developing with his team in order to tackle some, I would say, of the challenges of the VCM. Yeah, so I think to dive straight into it, um, the main challenges uh, currently of the VCM, as we mentioned in the past episode, is of course the lack of transparency, this overwhelming amount of data that ensuring companies aren't yet able to fully process. Um, but there are some other um, issues that are very specific to the mm-hmm. VCM. But right wait, now. I think we need to first clarify something because the VCM, uh, of course, is a voluntary carbon market. And when we talk about project developers and projects which are developed to create carbon credits, um, can be very different. There are different types of uh, projects, and I think it's worth it to give an overview, maybe. Clarify it. Okay, yeah, yeah sure. So uh, the main voluntary carbon market projects are divided into big clusters, spheres. Yeah. You have avoidance and reduction projects, which reduce the amount of CO2, and these can be nature-based solutions. Um, such as Red Plus projects, afforestation, reforestation, regenerative agriculture, blue carbon, and uh, technological solutions. And an example of such are, for instance, cooking stoves, uh, direct air capture projects, or uh, renewable energy projects. Mm-hmm. And this is the first and cluster. What's, and what's the focus? So they reduce? The point of, exactly, is to either completely avoid the emission of mm-hmm. CO2, or reduce, so drastically aim to avoid. Okay, so everything. either avoid what you would have emitted without using the solution or reduce the it, amount of CO2 emissions that you would have produced without using one of these exactly. solutions. Exactly. This is one, one type of project. Exactly. The other type is removal projects, mm-hmm. which in some way can be thought of as directly affecting the CO2 issue mm-hmm. because they um, regard, for example, nature-based solutions that, well, again, nature-based solutions that are um, uh, designed in such a way to absorb CO2 directly from the atmosphere. So mm-hmm. if you are, for instance, to plant a forest where there wasn't a forest before, you increase the amount of CO2 that's being absorbed from the atmosphere. Or if you do certain certain mm-hmm. ways of managing the forest, increases the amount of CO2 absorption. Or, or also technological solutions, such as direct carbon capture technologies. Um, for this reason, well, there's a plethora of different startups and businesses that are coming up that are able to synthesize the CO2 mm-hmm. directly from the atmosphere 
and condense it and shape it into all different sorts of kind of materials, which yeah. is awesome. And also thanks for qu- calling me out and clarifying that because <laughs> it is among the biggest issues that yeah, come up. Because I think uh, these terms like avoidance and removal and reduction are used interchangeably, but we are referring to different projects, as you said. So it's really exactly. important to know the difference, but also to know that the challenges that we're going to talk about apply to all of them. Exactly. So for that, I don't think we need a distinction. We just need to get straight into it. So, so without further ado, let's dive into additionality. Mm-hmm. What is additionality? So shall I go for it? Shall I give it a shot? Trying to explain something yeah. that has been like as challenging to solve as it is to explain. Yeah, probably. So basically, additionality is the amount of CO2 that is avoided or reduced based on your project in the, in, in the context in which your project is located. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is... Is your project doing something, basically? Exactly. Is your project having a positive impact? Is it reducing the amount of CO2? And if yes, how can you prove it? And this is kind of the big issue with projects as of now, because it's really hard to prove that if you're in an area of deforestation by saving a specific amount of hectares, then you are actually having a positive Mm -hmm. impact on CO2. Yeah. And why is that? Because you need a baseline and this baseline is not easy to determine. Especially when you're focusing on specific locations, right? And this mm-hmm. is why countries are starting to embrace jurisdictional red uh, projects in which basically they're taking into account the whole nation, not just specific projects to calculate the baseline. Because mm-hmm. as you can imagine, then it becomes very subjective, subjective yeah, to each location. Are, yeah, exactly. Then moving on to the second Big challenge? Permanence. Permanence. What the heck is permanence? <laughs> um, I Permanence is basically how can you ensure that your project is going to deliver results in the long term. And that is because, of course, projects like any other activity on our planet is affected by external factors, such as in accidents, for example, mm-hmm. um, climate change. Um, so basically is how do I ensure that my project is going to yield what I think it it can yeah and just quickly uh, by results we mean like actually absorb the amount of CO2 that's being um, released Mm -hmm. by the company or entity that is investing in the offsetting project right and that is because CO2 has a cyclical uh, timing Mm -hmm. that goes from three centuries all the way to a thousand years so in the case of floods or wildfires or monsoons or whatever climate change has in store for us Mm. um, we need to have a way to ensure that the project will be able to absorb that specific amount of co2 Mm -hmm. right exactly and then we have leakage which is the last one Uh uh-huh last but not least (laughs) yeah what's leakage so leakage basically is to ensure that the co2 that's being stored uh, absorbed in a specific project isn't then leaked in another one Mm -hmm. so you want to make sure that it balances out the amount of co2 that's been of that's been emitted in a specific location is offsetted in another one and they cancel each other out mm-hmm. otherwise if there's leakage somewhere if co2 is then produced and emitted somewhere else there's no point of doing of doing the whole pro- project right it's worthless but this, this refer to the company and the, the project they're investing in or because it, it refers I to like the there com- always going to be leakage because the word is 
it refers to yeah obviously it, that, well this is why it is such a big challenge right okay. because yeah. there's leakages all over the okay. all over throughout the process mm-hmm. um i think leakage applies both to the company and the project but it also happens within the location of the project right so mm-hmm. if you are offsetting co2 in let us take the the, the preserving a forest example mm-hmm. again which is the easiest yeah. example to kind of understand if you are preserving a certain um uh location mm-hmm. a specific amount of hectares of a forest but then you are defore- deforesting another one right close by then it's kind of pointless right because yeah. you are emitting co2 right uh right okay. next to the project and so mm-hmm. it, there's leaks there's co2 leaks um mm-hmm. in between so i think this one is the one which is hard hardest to tackle would you say i Because, I mean, you can control be, for everything. Yes, but to be honest, I don't think there's a specific uh, hierarchy, hierarchy between okay. the challenges. They're all extremely relevant because you could have, for example, a permanence and additional project that has leakage. And so it's, you know, it's worth, it, it decreases in value just mm-hmm. as much as it didn't have additionality or permanence. They're all yeah, so relevant to the outcomes in terms of CO2. I think now we're ready. Yeah. So I think after this introduction, we're, we're happy to introduce <laughs> our guests and, and happy and, and we hope we've given a bit of clarity of what we're going to dive into further with uh, Jamel Mekibis, which is the CEO and the co-founder of Senken, a Berlin and Cape Town based startup, which has developed a marketplace for uh, carbon projects mm-hmm. and to facilitate in, in the communication between entities that would like to invest in project developers. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, let's uh, welcome Jamel. Thanks for having me. Let's start with that. Um, and um, so I'm Jamel. I'm one of three co-founders of Zenkin. Um, we founded Zenkin as it stands today roughly a year ago. Um, there was a pre-version of it, but um, Zenkin as it stands today was founded almost exactly a year ago, actually on the 28th of March. So we're going to have a birthday very soon. <laughs> I just realized now. Um, and um, I guess the majority, so just a few sentences about myself, I guess the majority of my career was actually very much operationally and leadership driven. Um, I spent most of my career in, in the retail industry um, where I was able to take up responsibility fairly early in, uh, which helped me to learn a lot about how organizations are built and uh, how to scale teams. So um, it ranged from um, having 10 to 12 people when I was 20, um, all the way to around two and a half thousand people when I was in my early 30s. Um, And obviously the way there, including all the learnings that I did. And um, Zenkin now, just to make that connection, is now the first time that it feels like you can actually put all the skills that I gathered in a corporate career into something very meaningful Mm -hmm. um, and something that absolutely has the potential to make a difference in the world um, from a climate perspective as well as from a social perspective. I'm not sure if we can get to the social element of it um, Mm -hmm. within the podcast, but that's something that I'm personally like highly passionate about. Um, awesome. And so Senken is about to have its first birthday. So could you walk us back all the way to the start? How did it start off? Who, who came up with the idea and mm-hmm. how, how do you go about things? 
Um, yeah, sure. So I think it's the, the, what I call the pre-version, and that's definitely like the the origin of what Zenkin is today, was that um, Adrian and that at that time with um, Renee together started to develop a calculator um, that basically looks into um, crypto um, transactions and then calculate the emissions that are attached to it. So that's kind of where it started. So in theory, you would have been able back then already, well, that's one and a half years ago, um, you would have been able to calculate the emissions that were caused by your transactions if you were minting cryptos and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and then once that was built, um, you obviously had an end result, so you knew what your emissions are. And then that obviously led to the next logical step of then looking into, all right, what do I now do with those emissions that I know about? Um, and then they started to look into um, how can you actually offset that, right? And then we basically walked into that hell of a mess of a um, carbon <laughs> market. Um, and, um, and then it became very apparent that there are um, dramatic solutions and involvement needed to actually not only help the climate, but make it as scalable as we potentially can to make sure that we can make up for all those years, if not decades, where we've missed to actually establish proper solutions to a very relevant problem. Um, and from there, um, it's, well, and then we basically, um, I, because obviously I know Adrian for quite a few years, um, so we we're friends for five or six years. So um, at somewhere around that time, I started to just, I guess, give some guidance and advice between friends, I guess, um, how to build companies, how organizational development could look like and so on. and. After very few meetings, we already established that it makes a lot of sense to actually join forces um, because our skill sets are very complementary um, and we are, are all equally passionate about um, making this um, our, our, our life's journey um, from a purpose perspective, so to say. So yeah, that's basically how, how Zenkin came about and what we've identified um, was the, the lack of accessibility and transparency that the space has and that's why we set out to build the platform that we are now building today um, where we're building an interface where anyone who would want to interfere or not interfere <laughs> um, <laughs> interact ideally um, uh, interact with the the carbon market space can do that in a very transparent and accessible manner so that's kind of how we came to today's version so you were talking about crypto, how you walked into a hell of a mess of the VCM. So uh, what are the biggest barriers that you've encountered so far? And could you maybe walk us a bit through how like the whole crypto blockchain plays a role within with Zenken? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I guess the um, obviously we're not the first marketplace or solution that is out there for carbon credits or any sort of climate finance solutions um, but all solutions out there um, don't really tackle the actual eminent problems at hand right so um, they all still lack quite a lot of transparency and on top of that there's still um, th there's nothing that could scale to a degree that the world needs right mm -hmm. um, so most of the car current carbon marketplaces that exist and there are quite a few out there and some of them are doing a good job within their capabilities um, but they could not scale to a level that um, the world would need and not even close to that to make sure that we can actually tackle all the problems that we have and is that because of the methodology behind 
uh, evaluating projects or why why do you say it's not was no, it's not scalable i think there are a couple of obviously there are some bottlenecks there's not not only one bottleneck but um so there's obviously all the registries um mm -hmm. so they're the likes of vera gold standard and so on mm -hmm. um so there's a certain bottleneck there historically where it just takes a long time to actually validate projects so that actually um slows it down quite significantly um and then the other aspect is from if you then look at the purely marketplace side of things um it's because no matter how unbelievable that is but since carbon credits are traded as pdf certificates mm -hmm. it's a highly manual process right yeah. um so a trade cannot just happen like digitally mm -hmm. um it's always something that currently takes between three days and i think up to two weeks i think it's the standard mm -hmm. for the industry um so which is obviously quite far away from what would theoretically be possible these days. And because it's a PDF, most marketplaces that exist out there, um, they're just a fancier version of an OTC market, right? So the majority of the market was OTC and that's what we've called the, the mess of the market, right? So it's all via telephone, um, highly, well, one, intransparent and secondly, super slow um, and inefficient. Um, and those marketplaces that came up for the last few years, um, they just make, they definitely make it better. So I don't want to put them in the wrong mm -hmm. light, but um, even the biggest players have probably somewhere in the area of three-ish million credits available. Um, and that would be Patch.io um, as probably mm -hmm. world market leader somewhere there. Um, but obviously three million credits are not going to save the world mm -hmm. by any means, right? Um, and the process is, uh, because it's a PDF, they have to own them or at least be in relationship with someone in the partnership that owns the carbon credits in order to be able to actually facilitate the trade, right? Um, and Zenken doesn't own a single one, but started our very first version ever with 21 million credits on the platform, right? Uh, so that was our launch product and that's not even remotely where we want to stop, obviously. Uh -huh. um, so um, since we don't own a single one, we can scale to um, unbelievable um, amounts. So we could theoretically have 150 million, 200 plus million credits available on our platform without uh, compromising our business model because we don't carry any inventory risk. Uh, and because we're not part of the entire supply chain, so we're not involved in the projects directly ourselves, we can maintain a very um, neutral in a positive manner um, kind of position where we can provide as much transparency as possible because we don't sell our own inventory, right? Yeah, and so you avoid my favorite word, which is the conflict of interest. Yes. In many ways. 100%. And how does this work though? Because like I know kind of, but um, in practice, what's the main difference between you and another marketplace? So the um, so we, we're building an infrastructure, right? So we're not only matching up um, buyers and sellers, mm -hmm. so to say. We're basically building an infrastructure where that can be serviced automatically, so to say, right? Okay. So uh, we're enabling that. Um, and then once this is in place, um, the market can just start to become an efficient market uh, per se right because then you would have uh, an efficient market itself you have price transparency you have quality transparency at some mm -hmm. point and then market dynamics can then start to do what they do right mm -hmm. they can then um, have uh, ensure that 
the prices are ideally at some point correlating with the quality, which mm -hmm. historically was never the case, right? You have very expensive credits that are poor quality. You have very cheap credits that are actually of high quality, but no one is c currently actually capable of understanding that space. And that's ideally something that we can enable. Um, so at the moment, I would call it a temporary solution. So what we have on our platform as of today are Vera credits that have been retired in the Vera registry and then be bridged on chain, so to say, right? And they are bridged into the token um, infrastructure. And then that's where we make them accessible. Um, in the future, that will look very different. So um, all the big registries have already uh, announced that they will have two-way bridges, like so-called two-way bridges. And a two-way bridge basically means that um, credits can in the future coexist in a theoretically in a PDF version and in a digital version at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so once it's um, used, uh, sold, reused, retired, whatever, mm -hmm. um, on chain, it will just be retired off chain as well as a PDF, so to say, right? Um, and that's something that is very realistic to happen this year. Not for everyone, but uh, you'll see the first versions of it. Why would they still maintain the PDF version? Um, I, guess, I mean, that's just no more personal opinion, I guess, but <laughs> I don't think that the future will go from one extreme to the other, right? I don't think, I don't even think that that would be good um, because there are too many people reliant on the current market that was around for decades. So I guess it will just be a very normal transition, right? Okay. So I think... It will be gradual uh, in a way. Yeah, that's what I would expect, right? So there will definitely be some corporates that have been used to that for decades. They will not change overnight necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, I guess we will need to give them time and a highly transparent, good working product to make sure that they can slowly transition out and see the advantages of what the digital version of it can provide for them as well. So I think... Um, it, the future I would personally see as native on-chain credits um, but at the moment I, I think that will take a few years mm -hmm. realistically speaking um, and that's totally fair that that is the case um, yeah so you talked about blockchain as a powerful tool to solve the issue with transparency what about all like the other issues that the voluntary carbon market faces such as leakage um, additionality and permanence uh, that's a good question and I think I can hopefully try to answer both in, a, in at the same time because um, one there was still the like question um, around of why blockchain in the first place and then what the problems of the voluntary carbon market are so um, once we have I think what we need to look at blockchain in that specific instant is just a massive highly efficient database, right? Um, that's probably the best way to describe it, um, especially to avoid any confusion with cryptocurrencies yeah. or any other um, things that are out there. Um, <laughs> so um, the, the database is probably the, the best analogy because it just helps, it, it's a super fancy version of a database. So basically in the past, because we've already talked about it just being a PDF file, um, mm -hmm. we have a PDF file, but a PDF file is only a piece of paper and can obviously not be enriched with anything, right? Mm -hmm. Neither can it be really traced back and obviously there's a fairly higher risk of it being manipulated to some extent, mm -hmm. double counted, triple counted or whatever, or made up in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the blockchain aspect brings the layer to it so that there's always the chance to 
go to the root of the, that credit, right? Um, so that's why there's one data or set of data, which is the credit itself. And then what we can do in the future um, is basically to enrich it with all the available data in the world, right? And there's more and more coming up. So this could be ranging from IoT devices as in sensors in the, in the ground or drones that are taking footage, uh, satellite data, and so on and so forth, right? So the list is obviously fairly long, but no matter if that data gets gathered after the credit was issued, it can still be connected with it as long as it's proven that the data actually belongs to that specific credit, right? And that way you can obviously have way more data points that, than ever before, which helps on, on multiple levels. And that's kind of where I'm now transferring to the second question. Um, the whole topic around leakage, additionality, and like those elements, I think the majority of the problem for me personally sits in the issue that the lack of data never provided enough evidence um, to actually prove one or the other, to be honest, right? In the positive or in the negative case scenario. Um, so in a way, what we're saying is that we, we need to solve the first fundamental problem, which is the transparency layer so that we have kind of one transparent baseline mm -hmm. so that there is an auditable minimum layer of data that every project needs to provide once that is the case across the world we're already a few thousand percent better than we were in the past yeah. um, but we still need to do something to get there but i guess what i'm saying is once we're there um, mm -hmm. there's a high likelihood that we can then move on to solve the next layer of the problem which would then be leakage additionality because then we have proof for it and once we know where it is we can then dig deeper and understand mm -hmm. why it is and solve the problem there um, yeah if that answers the question yeah. well enough that, that makes actually a lot of sense no because when you when you're in such in a new sector i would say a new market or unregulated as the vcm is you don't know where to start from i would say because there are so many problems mm -hmm. and i do see how solving this one first could unlock like the potential to yep. really deal with the others and I think in general with emissions it's like that you need first you first need data and measuring and then you can act on them so really makes sense I think that's a really breakthrough <laughs> compared to the negative um, ending we had last time oh yeah <laughs> about the <laughs> challenges okay. I were like okay, okay this completely changes the note of the whole previous <laughs> yeah, exactly. episode you're like uh, there's no way out of it no yeah. okay <laughs> but no yeah I mean VCM, as many other sustainability uh, sectors, data is kind of like the hard basis on which any kind of progress can be made. Mm -hmm. And the fact that using blockchain as, as, as you define the like, uh, a high sophisticated data uh, base is, is really the way yeah. to go. And yeah, so I think we don't have any other questions. Thank you so much, Jamal, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, hear you guys next time. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. <laughs>